Welcome to my podcast, Conversations with David. I am your host, David Owasi. And on this podcast, we are talking to accomplished professionals and entrepreneurs across the country. We are learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going. And we are also talking about some of the lessons learned along the way. Now, I'm here with my friend who I'm excited to have on the show, Paul Keith. Uh, he's uh, an entrepreneur here in Winnipeg. Why don't you introduce yourself, Paul? Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm Paul Keith. I'm a health and wellness coach uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I'm specifically working with organizations and really helping them design remarkable wellness cultures to help their team perform at their best and thrive. Uh, and it's really not just nutrition and exercise coaching. I really try to dive deeper into all elements of health, mental health, emotional health, uh, mindfulness, uh, nutrition and exercise, all that good stuff, but also doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching and more recently, uh, trying to grow and scale a bit of a newsletter and pursue more of my uh, writing craft. Absolutely, Paul. Thank you very much. And I've read one of your recent articles in Medium. Fantastic stuff. Uh, <laughs> Love the Gary B one, eh? <laughs> totally. You're a gifted writer, my man. Uh, but let's start out by talking about your journey into entrepreneurship. I know that's something that is very important to you and it's sort of uh, one of the pillars of what you're passionate about. Why were you interested in entrepreneurship and what drew you into entrepreneurship in the first place? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I, I stumbled into it, probably other realization that I didn't really like being told what to do. I mean, maybe most entrepreneurs can relate to that. Uh, and it wasn't being a bad coworker. I've always believed in strong team effort and working towards a common goal and having a shared sense of purpose. And I think, being an entrepreneur really, you know, a, a great analogy I have is if you've ever watched the show Chef's Table, uh, they talk about, you know, all the best chefs in the world. They've probably gone to Paris and they've, they've learned from all these culinary uh, masterminds and institutes because in Paris, they've got all the technology, all the resources, all the people you need, but all the best chefs in the world, they don't stay there. They go off and they're probably in some far remote remote areas of the world. Like one of them was a guy off in Sweden, like in a barn, it almost looked like. But the, the idea is all of my jobs kind of led me to the point where I was allowed to become uh, an entrepreneur. So I always had the mindset of wanting to be one, but it was me using kind of, you know, this, the school of life of just kind of going through the routine and being exposed to so many different areas from, from school to the many different jobs I've had. And I've had, I've had a few, few different jobs and by getting exposed to that wide array of, uh, I guess, experiences and information, uh, that was kind of like my Paris. Like I, I learned a lot and now it got to the point where, look, I want to go and be my own chef. I want to go and make something and, you know, produce it and then hope not to just turn into another statistic where, you know, I don't know, two out of three small businesses fail in the first, uh, five years, but something I've been reminding myself is, you know, a really good acronym. And, and I think it's uh, fail first attempt in learning. And I thought that was great because I'm big with words as we talked before. And, you know, even the word failure, if, if I keep doing this in two or three years, things don't work out. It's just learning. It's just an opportunity. And I, I learned and then I move on and uh, no hard feelings. Absolutely. Thanks for the uh, remarkable answer, Paul. And, you know, I do agree with you that entrepreneurship is not born out of isolation. Like it's typically a journey which comes from, you know, you being in traditional life, realizing something was missing and, you know, 
traditional nine to five kind of helps you realize that missing element and then you go out and venture out to do your own stuff. So uh, very similar with my journey as well, started out in a normal job in any university, kind of I ran a, a painting business and then I went back into corporate thinking that there was you know, a few things for me to learn and there were a lot of things for me to learn. And yeah. then the pandemic kind of forced me back again to go full-time into entrepreneurship, which I'm completely enjoying. And, and of course, I like the perspective that, you know, um, if things don't work out, it's, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to learn. And just like we'll talk about some of the concept of stoicism as well, which is, you know, if something bad happens, not necessarily bad or good, it's just what is and mm-hmm. kind of just moving forward uh, based on, on what your goals are. But uh, Paul, I know your specific area of focus and your niche, I know you kind of focus on a lot of health generally. It starts yeah. from sort of uh, the, the fitness and the physical wellness kind of space. And then of course, uh, that kind of spreads into uh, mental wellness, uh, emotional wellness. But why is that really of importance to you, so the, the physical fitness side of things? Uh, yes, physical fitness was, it was just really my journey. So uh, coming from my background, you know, I'm a young white male. I didn't really have, like, I've had the privilege of being, being able to focus on this job and this career and this lifestyle. And there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't take it uh, for granted. I'm super grateful. And to the point after every workout, I even, you know, wish myself uh, a bit of gratitude and self-compassion because just to be able to express movement, it, it's something so powerful and often overlooked. And my journey when I was going through high school, it was kind of like an identity crisis. I was always someone where I would start something, I'd get good, decently good, and then stop. I did it with swimming, I did it with soccer, I did it with hockey, I did it with guitar, and I did it with sports. And in high school, there was this time where, you know, probably playing too much uh, Halo and video games uh, and uh, doing some, I was playing badminton and doing some track and field for one year. But there's just this time in high school where you're, you're trying to figure yourself out, right? And uh, a good friend of mine, uh, still in touch with him to this day, he said, come, come to the gym, work out with me. And uh, so we went to this, I grew up in Thompson, Manitoba. So 800 kilometers north of Winnipeg here. So a little bit more cold and, uh, and isolated. And yeah, I remember I puked up uh, frosted flakes my first workout <laughs> so don't eat frosted flakes before working out it's probably not a good thing and I wouldn't recommend it but it was just my journey like I just fell in love with the process of working out and it's something that was so clear cut like if I'm working out and I could do body weight push-ups today and then a month later I can do it with you know a 10 pound weight vest there's clear progress and you could see it and then over the years learning more about uh periodization and macro, meso, microcycles, and everything without working out, um, and just understanding the goal requirements of whether it's fat loss or training an elite athlete, it's kind of all the same thing. It's like, you are where you are right now, and then here's the steps and the skill that it takes to get there. So, you know, you could think about like running, right? Most people will just go out and running, but to run requires a lot of key things. You need ankle mobility, you know, you need hip stability and core strength, and you need to have the conditioning of the heart and the lungs and breathing mechanics. Like there's so many little things, right? And it just became this passion of like understanding it, right? And at its core, it's probably me just wanting bigger biceps, but <laughs> I'm over that now. Now it's more a, a little bigger picture. So physical fitness just has a place in my heart because that's what I, uh, I started out with. And I think, yeah, there's nothing more magical than that. 
Absolutely fantastic. And thanks for sharing that. Um, I didn't know there was that much involved in running. I am uh, an avid runner. I love and enjoy uh, cardio workouts just because I play soccer a lot. So for me, that's just my, my way of, of exercising. And I, uh, since the pandemic started, I, I bought a treadmill to make sure I'm running uh, in the house, which has been, has been great as well. But uh, um, Paul, I know your focus of your business is specifically uh, for corporate. I know you do a lot of personal stuff, but what kind of services are you typically offering for corporate uh, consulting uh, programs and wellness programs? Yeah, for sure. Great question. So with companies, it really comes down to offering something that can make staff feel inclusive across the board. So one of the main things I do is I have some nutrition and exercise software where it's all curriculum based. So we could kind of take this whole vague world of nutrition and exercise and we've actually bucketed things into specific skills. And for example, eating mindfully, people might tell you, you just need to eat mindful. But what does that mean? Like, what are the actual skills that make up and encapsulate that concept of mindful eating? Well, to eat mindful, you have to learn to slow down. You have to learn to set your environment properly. You have to learn how to stop when you're satisfied. So there's little things like that. So we basically, from day one, we start people with a basic set of skills. So we want people to start taking action, even if it's messy action. So for a couple of weeks, we're just gonna focus on doing something very small. And then two weeks later, we're going to add on something else. And then by the end of the year, you know, we're doing 24, 26 different habits, but you've completely changed yourself. Uh, and, and it's amazing how that one habit at a time works. And, you know, a lot of people are using this mantra now, like 1% better, uh, you know, and with James Clear's work with Atomic Habits, probably one of the best habit books I've read, uh, all this, you know, habit building is kind of the, the thing that I think we need to focus on, not only because I've had great success with it, but because we live in this world where we think like we're either on the diet or we're off the diet. And we, we're not focused on, um, you know, we're kind of more focused on pendulums, not continuums. And I want to focus the other way around. So we're up here, you know, we follow the diet and then we crash and then we go the other way and we were just swinging back and forth. But I'd rather have people focus on this continuum aspect where it's like today, how can you move yourself forward just a little bit? And you can always turn the dial, even if it's 1% better. So going back to your question, it's education from a nutrition and exercise standpoint, but it's a mindset piece too. So educating them on that. And then other services I had prior to the pandemic was going in every single month. I've got this big fancy uh, bioelectrical impedance analysis scale. And for some people that like to track their weight and what their muscle mass is, well, great. They could come in, see me and we do one but it's not for everyone. So for some people, it would just picking up the phone, shooting them text messages, if they ever had questions, asking me stuff. But I'd say the biggest component is focusing on leaders and managers and helping them create conversations around wellness because Gallup had even done a, a survey a while back and found that 70% of the variance in a team's engagement comes from the manager. And, you know, it's a perfect example would be you want to live a healthy life and you show up to work and then your manager is shoving a bunch of work down your throat. You're super stressed out, doesn't realize your personal journey, the things you're going through. Your coworker comes in, brings you a box of donuts. Like there's all these forces around us. And we often think that we just don't have willpower. But in reality, it's us trying to overcome or resist this world that we live in, this kind of obesogenic environment where we've got hyper palatable foods maybe toxic relationships with coworkers, 
and you know communication. And this could segue later into your love of uh, emotional intelligence. I think it's being able to have this team and the sense of belonging and infusing wellness into the fabric of the organization, whether that's through programs, conversations, and just daily tasks. You know, I'm standing right now, uh, getting people to do more of that, like just little things, right? We don't, again, it's not me coming and saying, we're all doing the ketogenic diet or, you know, mm -hmm. we're, I'm not like a fitness cyborg crushing kale smoothies at 5 a.m. I'm a human being. Some days I sleep in and uh, I, and I want to help people relate to that and that we can all do something uh, even if it is, you know, 1% better. <laughs> Absolutely. I do love the concept of the 1% better and just kind of staying in a continuum instead of the pendulum. I think that's a, a very, very good illustration of how we societies, we really are. When you have this passion for something and then you just go crazy and then you're on sort of the swings and you going full speed or no speed at all. And mm -hmm. I think it takes some intentionality to just try and make that little bit of progress uh, every day at a time at the 1%. I, I think I really like that idea. So thanks for sharing that. Now I'm a little conflicted. I was thinking maybe we'll move the direction of this conversation more into entrepreneurship, but now you've been talking a lot about health. So yeah. let's talk a little bit more about healthism and, and the privilege. I know this was some of the, the concepts you were referencing in some of your answers. Can you just break down to me a little bit more why that's something we should start thinking about or what that is something that is a priority for you healthism privilege inclusivity when it comes to nutrition yeah for sure this is really a, a recent thought of mine and something i've been thinking a lot about and i mentioned i'm you know practicing gratitude even after being able to move my body and you know this is a subject that i don't take uh you know we can't take lightly it's extremely important that we all can help each other no matter where we're at and something that really got me thinking about this or going down this path was uh, a good friend of mine now, his name is Dr. Raymond Abdulrahman, and he's actually a clinical psychologist who specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Give him a little plug here. He's got a podcast called Different People, and it's amazing. And, you know, I'm, I'm driving, and I'm just listening to this podcast, and I'm just going, every time I listen to this guy, I'm learning something completely new. And it's this lens of like where I am now and how I talk to people. And I've always had this as a coach, like I, you have to be client centric. You know, I have to be, give them clarity, remove my subjectivity and, and be completely objective. Right. And that takes a lot of emotional work and it takes a lot of internal work. Right. But a, a great example of this would be uh, I, I mentioned the scale. So I'd always go into uh, one of these companies and I had someone come up and they were overweight and uh, she'd been trying to lose weight her, her entire life. And she just said like, Paul, look, I, I love what you're, you're doing. Uh, but this talk of every, like weight, weight loss, fat loss, all these things, I need you to know like that word, it kind of like, it kind of triggers me in a way where I feel worse about myself. And that was kind of like at the, at that time, I didn't really, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, what can I do? to help conversations and help change. But it didn't really, it wasn't really until recently where I started thinking back on that and realizing like the words we use has a tremendous influence on those around us. And, you know, you could take one look at social media and we see a, a lot of the people, you know, influencers in the, in the fitness industry. And we've got people with shirts off you know, six pack abs, you know, big butts, you know, they're doing all their exercises. And I'm just 
looking at it going like, you know, I don't want to be another one of those types of people. Like, great. If you, if it makes you live a healthier life, fantastic. Like that's your thing. But for me, when it comes down to healthism, it's this fact of like the fact that I'm even able to move my body in the way that I do. And I have never had to overcome any form of resistance other than me studying for exams or getting yelled at by a coworker or whatever it is. Mm. I haven't had I haven't faced prejudice or oppression or racism or anything like that. I'm able to just move my body and now it's my job. Like I'm able to talk about health and stuff. That's ridiculous. There's people that live up in these uh, communities up North and you know, they it's cheaper for them to drink pop. And here we are on social media just telling people you just need to cut that stuff out. And it's just like, well, this, there's a bigger conversation that has to happen. There's organizational, like from a, a company level, there's political policies, there's the organize, like there's changes that have to take place that are bigger than just diet. And I always tell people, you know, like if you're coming to me and you, and it's a, and you need to change your diet, it's about food, but it's also not about food. Usually we're eating, you know, we're making poorer choices either because we, we don't have enough information on to know what is healthy. I actually don't think that's true. I think intuition can guide us in a proper way as long as we know what that means there's a lot of subjectivity with that but you know but the idea is is simple like we need to be able to focus on uh not just the food itself we need to be talking about mental health we need to be listening to people uh and their cultures you know for example we're talking about ketogenic diets and removing you know food groups you know and and then we've got cultures you know i've got a, a few friends and they're they're sikh and, you know, they're eating lentils and chickpeas and all these very high carbohydrate foods. None of them are overweight. They're all completely healthy. But then you've got people on social media saying carbs are bad. You know, it's, you, they don't satisfy you, blah, blah, blah. Like it just like the, the laundry list of things that are wrong with carbs. So we're demonizing nutrients without taking into account culture and your upbringing and things like that. So it's a new topic to me. I don't fully know, but I'm just, I want to have my humility shine through and just realize that I'm learning and I want to, I want to be the best version of myself by understanding other people's stories. So that's a shift I've been making lately. And it's really comes down to gratitude. Absolutely. Wow. Fantastic. And uh, I, I do appreciate, you know, you realizing that there's so many nuances to all of these issues, especially when you're looking at things from a cultural perspective, you're looking at it from a political perspective, life is not black and white. And it takes a, a sense of awareness to really understand that concept in, in the grand scheme of things. My wife is a dietitian and, uh, you know, she's always frowning whenever she sees one more post on Instagram about cutting calves or seeing people who are demonizing a food group. I just like, no, that is not scientifically the way you should be approaching it. So I do appreciate the fact that someone yeah. in the industry like yourself is also seeing things from that perspective. Totally. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that we have to be able to, people don't know how to have a good debate, right? A lot of people are really trying to protect their worldview. And sometimes with that, we build audiences, which really just become like of our work, audiences of our work. It really just becomes like a love fest. It's us mm. talking to other people that share the same worldview. And it becomes real easy to kind of build your own silo. So something that I'm very interested in is I'm always listening to the extremes. 
and I always consider myself, I'm like diet and exercise agnostic. Like if, if you're moving better and it's safe and effective for you and you're eating in a healthier way, which is safe and effective for you, then that's fantastic. Like you are where you are and we just want to move along with that journey. So a big thing right now is this plant-based movement. So we're hearing a lot of stuff about ethical reasons, environmental reasons, all this stuff. But now I want to read about well, is there stuff coming out that maybe shows that that isn't true? So a great question I always ask myself, right when I feel myself getting a little heated, if I listen to, you know, a great example of someone pushing ketogenic diet, and I'm like, oh, I hate that. But I'll always ask myself, what information does this person have that I'm not privy to? And then you just ask a question and you say, hey, where did you hear that? Like, let's learn more about that. You know, I just got a book called Sacred Cow, and it's all about how actually raising well-raised meat is actually good for the planet. And I'm not going to say that that's the way to go. I'm going to say, let me hear them out. Let me, let me understand. Because I think it's only through that understanding that we can navigate the nuance of the world. And like you said, it's, it's not black or white. We have to understand. Absolutely. I think I was listening to a masterclass uh, from Neil Tyson grass i believe that's yeah, how you pronounce yeah yes um and basically it was talking about you know healthy skepticism being the way to really um, uh, explore uh, opinions that are very different from yours right you have to have a healthy dose of skepticism you don't have to like deny everything and say everything is wrong but you have to be like let's question the facts share more information with me let's understand where you're coming from and yeah. then you know explore the facts, explore what the data is based off of the, uh, the opinions people are giving you. So I definitely appreciate that perspective. Now let's, so go ahead. I want to build off that because I think this is a great conversation. Like I was just listening to a podcast yesterday with a psychologist named Guy Winch uh, on Peter Atia, and I'm, I'm going to be putting it in my new weekly wellness digest, but he was talking about, uh, it wasn't skepticism, it was complaining. And it was, this, he was studying this because at the time, no one studied the psychology of complaining. And what he found was 95% of people with a complaint, they wouldn't voice it. They wouldn't say it to the person that they needed to say it to. And for good reason, because sometimes it, it takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of time that goes in. Like imagine picking up the phone to try to get Apple support or, you know, trying to get through to the government right now with people and their stimulus checks and EI and CERB uh, and whatnot. Like it is hard to do that. It takes a lot of time. But then what he found was those very people would go and tell 12 to 16 other people on average that complaint, 12 to 16. So they would spend more time than it would actually take in total mm -hmm. to just try to talk to the person and, and they would tell all their friends and family and anyone they come into contact with. And the issue with that though, is we, we know from like a hormonal level that, you know, you getting, we always say like you getting chased by the line. I think we need to use a better analogy, but like our brain that versus public speaking, it's all the same thing. Or you, someone cutting you off in traffic, it's the same thing as you getting, you know, hunted down by the line or whatever. It's the same hormonal level, that hormonal cascade. And, uh, Every time you you're talking to someone and you start getting heated, you're reliving that experience again. Mm -hmm. And what happens is you start to become a, you feel like a victim because you're telling it to someone who can't help you. They could just agree with you and be like, oh, it feels good. You know, this person like agreed with me, but you're, re, you're reliving it. So most people that, so we'll talk about like the 5% that do complain, even them, they're just, they're not good at it. 
most people get angry. They just like that. Oh, I just, I can't do it. And they just hang up the phone or they don't know how to talk to the other customer service agents. And likewise, sometimes customer service agents just aren't that good. They're just monotone robots basically. Right. So to go off with the, the healthy skepticism thing, everything, everything in life is a skill. Like everything's a skill to the brain. It's myelination. It's how it works. And right from teaching yourself how to run properly or getting mobility in your hips to learning how to communicate with someone, it's that repetition that builds that myelination that helps those neurons, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. That's what happens. We don't know, like, what does healthy skepticism mean? Someone needs to make a course on that. If there is, please tell me. And then like, we need to create these systems, just like what I have with the nutrition program and exercise program. It's like, we need to systematize these things so we can learn the skill, you know, and then build that into our uh, naturally occurring habits and our, our lifestyle. Fascinating. Thanks for, uh, for sharing that. And when I think of healthy skepticism, I think, you know, it starts out with asking good questions and having an open mind to the answers, not just uh, selectively listening to what you want to listen to, but just being yeah. open to all the data you're getting and then trying to sort it out. But I think, I feel like we could talk about that for hours. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's make a little bit of a, a pivot in our conversation here. I know entrepreneurship, again, is something that is important to you. And uh, you know, as we prepare for this conversation, you were talking about Carl Newport's work and the place of sort of misplaced passion, if you will, or the passion myth. And you know, the idea being that a lot of us, well, the kind of, if you, if you Google any advice on the internet about what should I do, everyone is always talking about chase your passion, chase your passion. But in Cal Newport's work, you were saying that, you know, passion is sort of a myth. It's just, it's not something that you can fully get. Passion should not be the only reason, uh, but passion obviously fuels our success. But can you just share with me your thoughts on that balance between, you know, chasing your passion, but also uh, finding grounding work uh, and what that means to you? Yeah. So, when I, when I first read that book, I was driving around the city, changing fuel filters and uh, fixing gas pumps and mowing lawns at different gas stations, crushing audiobooks at this time in my life. And when he said that, it was interesting because every t everything up until that point, I was like, all you hear is people saying, you got to follow your passion. If you follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life again. You know, all these different things around passion. And it made me kind of feel worse about myself because I'm like, Hey, I'm passionate about this thing, but I can't make it happen. Like I I'm missing something. So when I read that book, the talk was like the passion myth is I can be passionate about Sunday night football at eating beers or sorry, drinking beers and eating wings with my buddies. And how can you build a business around that? You know, how can you like, uh, you'd have to be either a really good talk show host and you can have some like a podcast style, like, you know, with the clubhouse app now, who knows, maybe you can make that happen. Uh, but like the, the, it's all about skill. I didn't have the skills, you know, it's like Napoleon dynamite, like girls, like guys with sweet skills. Like you, you have to have skills to carry yourself through. So for me, I was, uh, I, I knew a bit about fitness because I was in it. I was passionate. I was working out. I was reading books about it, but I didn't know how to coach people. I didn't know how to start a business. I didn't know the first thing about, you know, automating business processes or like anything like that. So by following on the passion uh, itself, it, it, we need to think of that that's just the fuel. Like you being falling in love with something is fantastic, but passion needs to merge with 
purpose? Like, do you have a sense of purpose? Is it a calling, not just a career? And it also needs to merge with a demand. Like there's people that want what you are, are providing, right? And sometimes we don't figure that out until we actually go out and try it, right? Um, so Cal Newport's book, uh, It's So Good They Can't Ignore You was awesome. Uh, you know, I'm, as a, it's been a long time since I read it. And I could pro like I, I probably forgot a good chunk of uh, the, the awesome information in it. Um, just drawing a blank right now, tripping over my tongue. But it, it's just the whole concept of the passion. It, you need it. Mm. That's just the fuel. And we need to focus on skills. So if you're passionate about watching football with your buddies and you want to start a business around it, okay, what skills do you need to actually build that? And I'm not the person for that. Right. Talk about health and fitness. I'll, I'll be the guy. I'll help you with that. <laughs> totally. And I think in that same book, he also talked about, you know, building those skills and, and, and working at it for a long period of time, right? You have to be uh, almost an expert to some extent and not just like jumping from things, stuff to stuff, just because you like uh, different things. You have to be focused enough to spend time to build uh, a skill over a long time and gain some level of mastery in it to then yes. be able to uh, see any sort of substance out of it. Otherwise, you'd be, you know, one will find themselves being a, a jack of all trades, master of none, which yeah, not a and I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the master of none. I feel I, I've always been passionate about that. There's a worry and passion. I've always been passionate about this. You know, I'm like an expert generalist. Like I feel like I know a lot about a little. Uh, but to build a business off that, that's very tough. But the good thing with that is, you know, and a perfect example is early specialization in sport, when all the research is clear, when you're younger, you need a wide diverse of different sporting backgrounds for many different viewpoints and, and uh, scientific reasons that we won't get into, but you need a diverse foundation. And just getting all that exposure is what's going to help plant seeds for new creative growth and allow you to uh, you know, learn about emotional intelligence learn about a diversity of different subjects that you can maybe add a different spin or lens into uh, your current job or whatnot. So I think we do need to have that, that wide foundation. Um, and a lot of insights in the world, that's how it happens. Like doesn't Google have like some sort of, you know, one day off or one week off or every year and the amount of insight that comes from that, uh, just letting people go read whatever you want, go create whatever you want. Uh, Lao Tzu says that like do the work then step back. You know, there's more space in the universe than material thing. So it's kind of beautiful when you think about give yourself space, like do something, then step back and just let your unconscious mind. It's called an unconscious thought theory. And your, your subconscious brain will start to make these connections. But when we're in it and you're like, oh, I got to work, I got to think, I got to do this. You're literally living in this frontal cortex of your brain. You're not allowing those deeper parts of your mind to open up, relax and make new connections. So totally. I think that's that's something super important. So by having that foundation, that general foundation of many different subjects, you allow that subconscious to tap into many different kind of networks, right? But totally. it requires relaxation and mindfulness and uh, yeah, a lot of that's good stuff. Yeah, totally. And uh, one of my rules of problem solving sometimes uh, is just to take a step back. I know sometimes when I'm working on difficult problems or trying to come up with you know ideas, original ideas, and I feel stuck, just taking a step back, going for a walk, 
and just living the environment helps you almost recenter yourself and find new ways, new approaches. So that's uh, definitely correct. Now, uh, I know one of uh, another thing when it comes to entrepreneurship you're passionate about or you used to be passionate about is Gary Vee. And uh, <laughs> I know we talked about when we were preparing for this chat, we spoke about you know, the concept of hustle porn. And a lot of people just kind of being in that mindset or trying to um, feed off of uh, the hustle mentality, but then they're not taking any action. And a lot of us, you know, on our Instagram feeds or our LinkedIn feeds, we're always listening to all of these, uh, you know, uh, fascinating uh, celebrities or uh, influencers, if you will. And we make ourselves feel good uh, listening to them sort of give us that pep talk, but then we're not following up with action. Can you just share a little bit with me, with me your insight on hustle porn and how, you know, just watching all of that doesn't really move the dial if we're not taking an action on why that is dangerous? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if the, the terminology is a little too harsh. I heard it from some other person and they had done a little article on it. And I, I thought it was kind of funny uh, or amusing, I should say, but it, I'll just speak to personal experience. I like, I was crushing Gary Vee like all the time. And it became this like his first book, Crush It. Then it was his show, Daily V. Then his Instagram. And I mean, this guy is like a full team. It's not him doing all this. It's like him making, like helping with the content and then his team's making it. But he's a beast. It's like an onslaught. You're just getting bombarded with the stuff. And that's just one guy. You've got multiple, like I don't know who else you follow or listeners are following, but like, you can become addicted to that motivation. And a couple things happen. And one is you, you like the message so much that it, it makes you feel good. Like this, this little dopamine hit, like, yeah, what he just said there, like empathy, gratitude. Yeah, okay, I get that. And then, and then the next post, it's all about like, okay, you just got to hustle, you got to hit the grind. And we're, we're using all these words that are very like resistance based. Like I'm hustling, I need to, you know, hit the grind, you know. I'm back to the nine to five. Like all these things are very like, like, whoa, like dig your heels in or you're pushing against something, not going with, right? We're not, uh, we're, we're not kind of living in a society that's allowing people to understand like you are where you are and that's exactly where you're supposed to be. Where do you want to get here? I'm going to support you to that point. When we sit on our couches and we're just crushing like Gary Vaynerchuk like I was, it, it becomes you start to feel like I start to feel bad about myself because I wasn't doing the thing that he was saying to me. He's like, get up. I don't want you to follow my channel. I want you to go work. And it, it got to a point where I'm like, I need to stop following this guy. He's literally telling us to stop following him and go do the work. So I, I did it. I just asked him. Uh, and it was funny. It was around that time where that mindset shift just became like motivation isn't something that you grasp at or just falls into your lap motivation sometimes happens after action and it you know that's why people love motivational quotes because they think like another motivational quote that's just going to get me going and maybe it does and it has for me and it will continue to do so for a lot of people but a great example of this and I use it all the time is mo with motivation happening after uh action is you think about like you know I'm watching Netflix and I realize oh one of my blankets and couch cushions is like a little like, off to the side. So I'll like pick it up, fold the blanket, put it up, fluff the pillow, put it to the side. And then I'm like, okay, good. Oh, got to shove the couch cushion in. Oh, some crumbs on the ground. I'm going to grab the vacuum cleaner, start vacuuming. And then before I know it, oh, I got to do the dishes, start doing the dishes. Before I know it, my whole house is clean. My whole condo is clean. 
was I motivated sitting there watching Netflix to go clean my whole house? No, but like just by starting with one thing, you know, fixing the, fixing the blanket, fixing the couch cushion. And so many people, you know, you might've had that experience. You just get in the cleaning spree, you just get in the mode, right? But it wasn't like, I need to clean. And then you just get up like a robot and you start cleaning. No, it was like this one small little thing. And when we become addicted to like this hustle porn, it almost makes it seem like it's larger than life and we can't do that. We'll never be that person, right? So for me, I, I don't do great with too much social media because I have uh, more of an insecurity with envy and maybe jealousy, but it's more envy because I'm looking at these people and I'm ambitious as hell. I'm like, I, I am going to achieve big things. But when I see this onslaught of other people doing it, sometimes I can't take pause and be like, wow, great for them. I think, oh, I'm not doing that. And that's my thing with my mental health. So I need to say, okay, I'm going to clear that out of my environment. And that's my digital environment. I'm going to clear it out. I'm just going to focus on me. That what's in my sphere of control that I can focus on. And maybe that's just fluffing my couch cushion while I'm watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I definitely understand that because myself, I think that the more time you spend on social media looking at other people's lives, uh, the more you feel some negative bad feelings about yourself or your lack of action, if you will. But when you're out in the world doing stuff, you're creating your own content, you're producing, then all of a sudden it's a little bit of a different perspective because you are doing. And when you do, you're even motivated to do more. Just like you said, I've been in that situation where I don't feel like doing anything in a day. Like I wake up, you know, when COVID and I'm sure this happens yeah. to everybody. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to do anything today. But yeah. then I was like, okay, I'm just going to craft one email. Or I'm just going to create one little uh, idea of what I want to draw. I'm going to write the first line of this article. I'm going yeah, to yeah. create a paraphrase of this new video I want to shoot. And then I do that. And I'm like, oh, I can do more. And then it just becomes a snowball effect. And I end up having a productive day. That's so, addictive. Like, I can just even hear it in your voice. Like, you're, that becomes an addictive feeling where it's like, I don't have to take on the whole day. I don't have to hustle against the day. I'm just going to do this one thing. And I'm going to do it well. And it's yeah. like do the basics, do them well, do them often. And just the, the snowball, the momentum you build with that, it's amazing. That's awesome. It is indeed. Now, a lot of the things we've been talking about has the underlying theme of emotional intelligence, Paul. Uh, we've been talking a lot about, you know, uh, entrepreneurship. We've talked about finding a passion or at least the myth of it. We've been talking about uh, basically, you know, entrepreneurship, healthism, all of this stuff, inclusion. Mm -hmm. And at the, at the base of it, I think, is uh, the centerpiece of self-awareness. And, you know, oftentimes a lot of people want to do things, they want to do great things, but they lack the awareness to even know where they are to see how they can improve or grow or find the right resources to get them to where it needs to be. And uh, I think uh, the, the idea I usually refer to is the Dunning-Kruger effect. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term where mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know and, you know, you really don't know how to move forward because you don't even know how much you don't know about the world or how much growth you need to have. Mm -hmm. uh, as entrepreneurs, as career professionals, what would you say in your opinion is a place of that self-awareness or even sometimes emotional awareness, which is more my area of niche in really finding that personal growth and development and reaching our goals uh, that we set for ourselves? Yeah, no, that's, Oh, that's a fantastic question. And I actually wrote down one little phrase that I, I love, but I think it, it doesn't have its place for this conversation. So I'm going to lean more into, you know, what, again, we'll talk about skills, what makes up the skill of self-awareness and 
oh, that's that's tough because we could kind of take like the maybe more Zen uh, Buddhist style approach. And, you know, we're, we're very caught up in our technology and our work. And we think that we are our thoughts, but we're not like there. There's someone that is in there that can witness your thoughts. Like you're, you're saying something, but you're witnessing yourself saying it. Right. And then even deeper, there's probably an observer of that observer. So when it comes to the whole thing of like self-awareness, well, understanding that the self is just a construct of I, a word, a, a state of like consciousness, but there's more to you than that. There's like this, uh, there's this presence and I'm not going to get all wishy-washy with it. I'm just going to say that self-awareness is a tough thing and it's ongoing. You will constantly be doing it. And if someone says that I'm awakened or I'm enlightened, well, just the fact that they're using I'm or I, and they're talking like that, kind of like condescending, we'll just call that enlightened ego. Mm-hmm. And Adi Asanti talks a lot about that. And I've had that where I'm like, I've meditated, you know, every single day for a year straight, you know, I know myself and I feel good. And then you see other people that are getting agitated on oh, golf. They only meditated, but instead the, the, the better self would just see them and be like, that person needs some help. Mm. You know, that's where that person is. And that, so self-awareness, it, it's for me, it's relentless curiosity. That's what it is. It's curiosity because if we, we live in this world where we try to gamify everything, we're focused on these extrinsic motivators and getting, uh, you know, we, we want recognition from loved ones and from colleagues. And we're trying to our measure of success are things out of our control. And there's so much research, research which is getting more light on now, but recently hasn't been. It's like, it, it's intrinsic motivation and self-determination. Mm. So intrinsic motivation is the fact that like, if I said, if someone says like, what's your goal? And I said, I just want to be healthy. That's an intrinsically kind of motivated goal. I just want to be healthy. It's not a smart goal. It's not that great because there's no specific benchmark. But the person that says like, look, I just want to walk because I want to be healthy and it makes me feel good. Versus the person that says, I need to get 10,000 steps a day so then I could get this award that my company's putting on. What that person who's more extrinsically motivated is more likely to fall off the, the plan of moving more in the long term than the person that just moves consistently because there's an inherent love for the thing. So it comes down to this whole concept of like the thing you do on day one is the thing you do as a master. And I love that. I think that's like a Zen proverb or something. We'll say Paul made it up, you know, like Michael Scott, you know, like he missed the 99% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, you know, we'll put Zen proverb, Paul Keefe underneath. Uh, Like if I want to say, you know, say for instance, I'm 30 pounds overweight and a year from now, I, I want to be 30 pounds lighter. So today I've probably got to do a few things. I probably got to start walking more. So let's call it 8,000 steps a day. I probably got to get my sleep in check. So I'm going to start sleeping at least eight hours every single night. And I need to get my hydration down. Like I'm just crushing coffee too much. I need some more water. I got to cut the booze out. So I'm going to start drinking three to four liters of water a day. So I'm going to start doing those things and I'm going to start doing them today. I'm going to do them tomorrow, next week, you know, a month, flash forward a year. Guess what I'm still doing? 
I'm still doing that exact same thing, maybe to a different degree, maybe a little different nuance and to the context of that situation, but I'm still doing that thing. I'm still moving more, staying hydrated, sleep, sleeping a lot. So the thing is like, if you can't fall in love with that, like just you today, if you can't fall in love with you today and that action, it's going to be hard as hell to be able to do that a year from now, mm. because that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters right now is this moment and what you're doing with it. It's the only time that exists. The Absolutely. past is over. The future doesn't exist. You're going to make your future, but it starts with right now. Right. And it's all like wishy-washy, like, and I'm not a motivational speaker. It's just like, look, this is the context of the situation. You are where you are. Like mm. you could get up and stand right now for a little bit and do the interview if you could, but like, and then maybe you've made yourself 1% healthier in that regard, because that's for your goal or for you 1% healthier is I want to connect with another human at what you're doing right now. So maybe that makes you 1% healthier. So again, there's, there's so much nuance to everyone's situation. That's why coaching is so powerful because all we see is the highlight reel of people or coaches and experts online. And it's them just kind of pushing content onto you. And until you can get into the mindset of, I need to pull this information out of someone. And, you know, this is the, the, the word education comes from the Latin word, I believe is educo, which means to draw without. So school, we think education is pushing stuff on us. Like, oh, I've got to hit the books. I've got to learn all this. But education, there's this other thing of curiosity. When you're, when we're children, like super like young or infants, we're curious about the world. We naturally ask questions, but when we start to create constructs around us of rewarding things that are inherently valuable to us, like movement, like eating good foods, like say education or like many different things. Sales is a really good rule. Uh, when you start to reward people for doing something that they inherently love, they start to lose interest in that very task. And that's been proven by research. And the, or the other thing is they start to take extreme measures or shortcuts or do things that harm the entire team to get to that goal. Mm. And something very common in sales is people take shortcuts or they break relationships with customers uh, because they're just trying to get to this target number, which is very vague. Uh, and I'd, like Simon Sinek talks a lot in his newest book, The Infinite Game. Now, how do you encourage people to get it? And afterwards, I just add the lens, like with health and wellness, this is the infinite game. Like you, if you tell me you want to lose 30 pounds in a year, that's awesome. Like amazing because once, but once you start committing to action, even more amazing, because now mm. you're actually building that self. But a year later, I just want to know like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, are you still living that healthy life? Or is it like at 30 pounds out, you're like, Oh, now what? That's something I'm not sure yet mm. about goals because humans were wired to always have goals. And it's like, if you don't have a goal, you feel like you're a failure. I think there's times where you're, you're just, you need to live your life. Like you've mm. got to live and you can be 30 pounds down and maintain that weight and have a good social life and dabble in a nice fancy cocktail or a beer every so often. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, thanks for that insights. Wow. That's a, uh, that's a lot to unpack there, but one of the things I really uh, picked out of of, of that answer, Paul, is the, the, the place of curiosity mm. uh, in awareness, because awareness is all about trying to, to peel the layers, trying to understand what's going on. And for myself, when I think of awareness, I, I typically approach it from a place of emotions, mm. because I think that emotions are very, very powerful forces uh, for good or for bad. The drivers in different ways, you know, for, for example, I know, for example, when I, I, I was running my business, one of the, the biggest drivers of me 
grinding and going hard was recognition. I wanted to be recognized for running a good business. Yeah. And it was interesting because when I was thinking about it, I would be like, I, I've made the money I want to make already, but I just want to have that dollar amount to be able to say, I brought in this amount of revenue to my business this yeah, year. Yeah. And uh, for myself, that was very interesting, just trying to peel through the layer. So I think when we are talking about awareness, especially emotional awareness, I think, you know, the simple way to just kind of approach it is just trying to ask yourself why. Okay, this is what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And being objective about it, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just what mm -hmm. it is. But why am I actually feeling this right now? And of course, that can, you know, tag on different things, you know, society pressure, you know, what I want, um, mm -hmm. pressure from family, society, uh, and all of these other factors that influence the way we're feeling about different things we want to do, but also always questioning why, 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 I think is, is that goal to realize the awareness uh, and yeah. just know why we're doing certain things, not necessarily trying to control or, you know, lock yourself into certain types of actions but mm -hmm. being aware as we're doing them not just coasting through it and just you know automating through it uh, but just being in the moment of every action and be like okay i know that i'm doing this and this is why i'm doing this okay and just being there right there every moment yeah it, it it's a lot like when you're saying this i i just hearing the word observer come come to mind and you could think like my brain goes as you're explaining that is like we've got like you know, a handful of emotions, right? We could say happiness, anger, frustration, fear. Like there's only like so many emotions, but then we've got hundreds of thousands of words. Like we've got this whole world that adds all that context and layers and kind of beauty through our words. But those are all just labels and stories, which are trying to express things that are very powerful and beyond words. Like, like if, if you say you're angry, sometimes it's hard to tell people you know, you're self-aware, okay, I'm angry right now. And you say it, but you almost feel like you're kind of like a chump for saying that because there's more to it, of course, there's more to your anger because of all these different things that happen, but you don't have the words to explain it. And I think that's why what you said is just asking why and just having the humility and the self-compassion to say like, look, I'm a human being. Everyone else is going through this or has gone through this. So I know I can get through it too but it's just going to take some time. It's going to take some space. And that's what I'm going to need. So, but to say like, I'm angry. Okay. What sort of, uh, you know, mental health program can I put in place to remove this anger? And it's just like, like it's, it's relaxing. It's yeah, becoming conscious of just how you're feeling and the environment and like taking those deep breaths and just relaxing. And, you know, there, there's so much to it. Right. Absolutely. I, I do like the element of self-compassion as well, too, because a lot of people, they don't let themselves dwell, especially in negative feelings. Yeah. Uh, they just feel uncomfortable with it and they want to just move on very quickly from those negative feelings. I'm sad or mad or angry. And yeah, they don't like it. They don't, don't want to like move it. forward with it. And in reality, it's like, you know, no person can co uh, comprehend or understand and navigate the human condition. It's it's ridiculous to think the only way that we can get through difficult situations is to get like go through them, but to do them with, together with people and to talk about them. Uh, and I'm not sure the reason, like the, the true psychology behind why it's difficult to like, why, why would it be hard for me to pick up the phone and talk to a therapist when I, when I know I can, the barrier to entry is so low now, right? Why is it difficult? I don't know, maybe I don't want someone else to hear the inside of my, of my life. 
but we know every time you're done talking about something, you feel better. And a, a great example of this is there's been like more times than I care to like say out loud or and count is I, I go to ask them a question, like it, maybe it's business related or maybe it's life related. And I start typing out the email and I get like one or two big paragraphs. And then by the end, I'm like, I'm not going to send this I already figured like, okay, I know what I have to do. Delete, delete, delete. And then you're, you're, you go and you move, you move forward. It's just because you talked it out loud, uh, either onto paper or to someone else mm -hmm. that you're able to work it out. So like journaling is powerful. Like the connection of the hands and the minds and you read mastery by Robert Greene talks a lot about that. Like, just writing, like don't use a computer, like write down in a, like a journal. And it's not just a matter of doing a gratitude journal. Like, Oh, if I do my gratitude journal today and I write down my three things, I'm going to experience X percentage increase in my overall well-being. I'm grateful for a roof over my head. I'm grateful for food. No, like the idea is like, you need to get real. You need to write it down, put it down and feel it. Like, what does that gratitude feel like? And another great one is to write a letter to someone that you care about. And then you could read it out loud to them or you could send it to them or just write it down and keep it for yourself. But then you know, right? So it's this whole idea of just, we need to, I almost forgot what the question was, but like I had a reason for it. But the idea is basically, we need to uh, create that ability to express ourselves. You, you can't hold it down. So whether your way of expressing yourself is through an instrument, through working out, hitting the punching bag or writing in a journal, like you need to have that release. You need to have that thing as long as it's in a healthy way. Yes, totally agree with you. Well, our one hour is pretty much up and it just flown by so quickly. Fast. Fastest hour. <laughs> very, very fast. Thank you very much again for your insight, Paul. It's been so awesome hearing your insights. I really appreciate the fact that you're very well read. Like I love speaking to people who have you know, researched from multiple angles, just just absorbing all of that information for yeah. me is just, just gold. I really appreciate it. Um, any last word before I let you go here? Any last piece of advice or wisdom that you want to share? uh piece of advice uh yeah what one percent better do do one thing you can today to just live your uh, live a little bit healthier whether it's getting another glass of water or getting up and doing some stretches just you know take action you don't need another motivational quote you know what you need to do to move uh forward a little bit so totally totally i love that i think that's one thing i'll take away as well one percent better don't worry about the extremes just one percent to move the dial forward it's been a pleasure here, Paul. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, David. Take care.